Hi, I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding the Bible in its original context and its wisdom for today. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our very last episode of this series with Dr. Drew Johnson. I just want to take a moment and say thank you for being here with us and for sharing your many years of expertise and study and thoughtfulness. This has been a huge help, I think, for so many people, especially me, even being able to ask you all the questions. So thank you for for joining us for the series. My pleasure. You've been an excellent host. I podcast as well, and I know how difficult it is to do what you're doing. So (laughs) It's been a blast. Good work. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have a lot to talk about um, in this episode, and before we get into it, I just want to add a quick reminder that I think a lot of um, those of us listening to this podcast, I count myself in this as well, have been on a trip to Israel with passages. Those who haven't um, are at least probably somewhat aware of the importance of Israel to the Christian faith, Um, and I think kind of where we're coming from in this series is that we really want to to equip those who've been to Israel and those who understand the importance of context for our faith. Uh, We want to equip us with the ability to really study the scripture effectively. Um, Being able to, as Dr. Drew Johnson has said, turn up the volume on the biblical authors and turn the volume down, not turn it off completely, but turn it down a little bit on tradition and church and kind of how we've grown up understanding things. So, Taking that idea into this conversation about truth, um, I think, especially growing up with the the framework of apologetics and tr- mm-hmm. like what is truth, worldview weekend, right? <laughs> we may have to do a little bit of unpacking about what truth actually is. So, can you kind of maybe tell us where we need to adjust our thinking about truth before we start talking about how the Bible actually looks at truth? What is true truthfulness? Yes. Sorry, I thought your microphone was going to slide off there, but Uh I was unduly (laughs) worried. Uh, So first, truth isn't. Uh, Now, I know this is just the way that we talk about truth. I don't don't think most of us think that truth is something that it actually exists. Like, we don't think evil exists somewhere, like it's a substance that sticks to things. Um, And it's the same thing with truth. Um, So when we say something is true, we need to just acknowledge that that's how we say it, but it's kind of a weird way to think about truth. In the same way that I could say we, we use the verb to have with sex, like we have sex, like I have a cup in my hand. I'm not sure how somebody has sex. It's a way we talk about it, but we we need to like remember the, the way we say it in our language isn't necessarily the way we mean or that we think that the thing exists in the world. So truth is an attribute. It's a It's a... It's a way things are, if I can put it that way, which makes it sound fluffier or fuzzier or more like mystical than I mean it. Um, what we really mean when we say truth, uh, what is it? Is the biblical authors would say, well, it's, it's faithfulness. It's, um, I don't know. Uh, faithfulness is the only word that comes. It's trustworthy. Is mm-hmm. that the word? Like, So the biblical authors would have no problem saying that a ladder is true or a ladder is false. Like, oh, don't use that ladder. That's a false ladder or that's a true ladder. Mm. Now, for us, that sounds very weird. We're like, yeah, that doesn't quite fit. 
Um, but if we adjust the language uh, that like they a use, reliable, a reliable almost. ladder, a trustworthy ladder, a trust, you know, trust that ladder like you trust a calculator, mm. you know, um, which I trust a calculator blindly, like anything <laughs> a calculator says. In fact, my, my kids once got me a, a trick calculator that like gives completely wrong answers, <laughs> uh, which is brilliant, right? It plays with the whole system. So it's a false calculator in that sense. So just that notion we today want to say things are either true or they're false. And mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that has to do, again, emotionally with the comfort that brings us from saying, well, that's just, that's just false, right? That fact is false, and therefore I no longer have to think about it, look at it, worry about it, uh, or anything, right? Uh, the biblical authors would be like, eh, not so fast. Uh, false might mean that you still need to pay attention to it, and it might be true in some other circumstance. Uh, or I could say, uh, and I think we have multiple cameras here, so I could say to you, like, which way is my finger turning clockwise or counting clockwise? For you, you would say? Clockwise. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I really yeah, got yeah, concerned yeah. there for a second. I really yeah. hope that was, was right. Okay. Test. Yes. And then for me, I'd say, no, no, it's it's counterclockwise. Mm. Or someone looking from the side, they might just see my finger going up and down depending on how far away they are. Hmm. And so we'd have to ask, well, okay, which one is true? What's true? Is it is it true that it's going cl- uh, clockwise or is it true that it's going counterclockwise? And that simple, absurd example is just getting at the fact that the truth of the situation is richer than just it is or it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's not like truth and false are not a light switch on or off. Um we often think about them today because, honestly, because of technology, engineering, uh, ones and zero. I mean, every computer we have runs on ones and zeros, hmm. on, which are related to on and off um, or positive and negative. And so for us, our kind of technological world, which goes back into even uh, Greco-Roman logic, things are either true or false. They um, you, can, you can think about the world as true or uh, things in the world as true or false, statements as true or false. Which can be helpful for thinking through some things. It's just not how the biblical authors are are talking about truth. Uh, I don't think they that they would say that. Oh no, that's all wrong. Quit doing that right now. Quit using technology. It uses ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. They're more worried about what's faithful and reliable. Mm, that makes sense. So I, it kind of brings to mind. I was uh, I actually ma- uh, minored in photojournalism in school, and one of the things that my is that professor- where you take pictures of journalists. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I did not know you could you could minor in photojournalism. Okay, yeah, sorry. Say more. No, so it was basically photojournalism, I, I think. Uh, my program was a little bit unique that, that we did, and I really appreciated it for that reason. But I think most people would think of photojournalism as um, – telling telling stories that oh, are yeah. true through photos yeah. Yeah. so like the 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 photography counterpart to journalism yeah um and one of the things that we talked about in those classes was that a lot of people think that you can tell the truth through photos but you mm. just can't because oh, th- because the photo somehow is it's just the way it actually is right yeah and yeah. no matter what picture oh, you take you're good. always going to be leaving something yeah. out you're always going to have missed the moment before and after that will provide the context you need to really understand what that picture is actually doing right so you're going to come with assumptions you're going to come with preconceived notions you're going to come with biases you're going to come to that picture the picture itself exists as it is mm-hmm. the picture itself is true but it's still it, there's you're missing a lot of information to really have an accurate understanding of it right. so that and was really you have a frame you're you're mm-hmm. excluding things out of the frame i actually use photo essays in my interpretation class okay uh, to show them how it's an essay a series of photos actually creates an argument uh, mm. over time and this 
you have the frame, uh, so you're choosing what's not in. And, and there's all these all these famous examples of people who very selectively frame the photo so you couldn't see the context in order to mm-hmm. do something. And you have a focal depth, like what what's in focus, what's out of focus. Mm-hmm. So lots of interpretive decisions are being made by a photographer, I think right. is what I hear you saying. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it just kind of reminds me of the sense of – you know, whenever we think about what is true and what isn't true, it's it's there's way more way more to it than just right. you know, like you said, an on and off switch. And I want to be clear: we are not slipping into relativism here. Uh, this isn't like, oh, well, it's not just true and false, so therefore anything goes. <laughs> uh, I think philosophers have uh, generally agreed that um, there there are are no real relativists. People who believe, you know, really anything goes. I think. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche would probably be the closest candidate for that. And even he believed that everybody just needed good friends. Um, mm. And he didn't have a great reason why, but he just believed that was true. So um, I think the issue of – speaking of journalism, I mean I think it raises the issue that's hot right now in our world is like fake news, right? And this is mm-hmm. – you know, you think photojournalism and video journalism and video – and everybody being a video journalist now that we have video of everything going on. Anything happens and people are instantly taking a video of it. And sometimes you're like, <laughs> put down the, the camera and like hop in and help those people, you mm-hmm. know? But – um so you think that would settle the matter of like everything would just be obviously true or not? Uh, not, and I and I think what you're raising is it, it it just complicates the picture. Who's taking what video for what reason? When did they start taking it? You know, what did they cut out? That's been used a lot in these uh, police abuse cases on both sides. People claiming the police abused them falsely, and um, police claiming they did nothing. Right? That they it depends on where you start the video as to mm-hmm. what the claim is. Um. And fake news, you know, this issue that apparently you can just say fake news and make it happen. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. It seems like a magical incantation the way people use it um, or just a way to shut somebody down instantly. And uh, I think the biblical authors are actually really helpful in their version and their their truth talk, the way they use the terms true and false and the way they conceptualize what is true and what can be true and what's false. Um I think it can be really helpful even for us thinking today about how to consume journalism, uh, how to think about photos and mm-hmm. uh, evidence and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. That's great. So as we talk about truth, um, one thing that I think comes to mind in this topic that's especially um, maybe at the forefront, I don't want to assume, but I would expect at the forefront of a lot of minds is the idea of the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture. Um, especially, I think you mentioned in previous episodes that it's important for us to to take not just what the biblical authors are saying, but to understand and discern what they actually mean. Right. So in the sense that we may have to kind of reorient ourselves around what they mean, does it ever cross into, like, it, for example, is there ever a time whenever what they say is actually we could like understand it as wrong. Like, does that happen mm. if what they say is wrong and we have to discern f- more fully what they mean? So I think you gave the example of if someone were to, if, if someone were to say, well, you said this, and then you kind of step back and say, like, well, yeah, I know I said that, but I actually meant this right. in that process. Is it negating what they originally oh, said? Okay. Um, so I don't think I actually answered your first question concisely. So okay. let me do that now, and it might help us in this okay, discussion. Great. So what is truth? And I understand we know it's truth is not a thing, but it's a way of being. Um, 
Truth is, and I'm borrowing this from my friend Yoram Hazoni, this Israeli philosopher, who says in, in scriptural terms, truth is something doing what it ought to do over time and circumstance. Mm, that's good. Uh, or being what it Can ought you say to that be. Again? Yeah. <laughs> so it's when something someone something or someone does what they ought to do over time and circumstance, or they are, you know, what they ought to be over time and circumstance. So in scripture you have reports, roads, tent pegs are all described as true. Uh, again, uh, what, why is a tent peg true? Uh, because a tent peg does what it ought to do over time and circumstance. A tent peg is supposed to hold down the tent. It's to lash down the tent to the ground. And so over the time and circumstance of winds and storms, if it does that, then the biblical authors would say that's a true tent peg. That, that one works, right? Um, and that's not a mere pragmatic view of truth. I know people who have like, the various philosophies of truth in their head, coherence, correspondence, and pragmatic, they might go, isn't that just pragmatism? If it works, it's true. I think there's a pragmatic angle to truth. But what the biblical authors are pushing us to do in the way they conceptualize truth is to say, like, look, you have to attend to things over time. You can't just look at something and say that's true or false. And Mm -hmm. that includes prophets, as we'll talk about in a bit. Um, You have to attend to what they're doing over time and circumstance to see if they turn out to be true. It's the same way that carpenters use the term true, like that's I'm going to make a true cut. You draw a line, which is what is, what it's supposed to be. And then as everybody who's made cuts with a saw over time and circumstance, the closer you stay to that line, um, the truer your cut is. Uh, Or a sailboat course, you know, like sailboats never go directly in one line. But the closer you stay to the line, the truer the course. Or a marriage. Somebody who has remained true to their spouse over time and circumstance and other opportunities, um, they've been faithful to their spouse. Interestingly, in the Hebrew, uh, the term truth, which is emet, um, has two cognate terms that we associate more than that, but two that are directly associated, which is uh, the one that we all know, amen, aman, which is uh, truly. So Jesus even says this, and they transliterate it in Greek, amen, amen, truly, truly, I say to you, mm. right? Um, and then imuna, and so imuna is faithful or reliable or trustworthy. So if something is what it ought to be over time, then it's considered imuna, trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Jesus seems to appropriate this view of truth when he says, I am the way, the truth of life. Like if you follow me over time and circumstance, this will guide you correctly. It's, mm-hmm. it's a true wow. way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. What I'm saying to you over time and circumstance will guide you correctly. Um, and I think this is so tr- – I was going to say so true. Uh, <laughs> this is so helpful, which is true in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we can start thinking of true as kind of a, in, as a verb, I guess. Uh, it, it will true us. It will make us more like the thing that we're supposed to be over time mm-hmm. and circumstance to, to follow Jesus by the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, that That's just a different – concept and conversation about truth than I hear most Christians having today. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, if I were to, uh, an alien who stumbled into the American culture and said, and I somehow picked up the Hebrew Bible, read it, gathered this Hebraic view of truth and falsity, which we can talk about falsity too. Um, and then if I stumbled around in the American culture and said, well, who really talks and thinks like this? I would probably turn to the sciences um, because mm-hmm. they're the, also the ones who say like, uh, well, is it a fact? And, you know, good scientists will say, well, not so quick. We need more experiments and over more time and in different circumstances mm. to see if this thing that we think is going on 
turns to be true. Or like not. one instance isn't enough to prove yeah. that. Okay. One yeah. one wow. experiment is not scientific knowledge. It mm-hmm. only becomes scientific uh, knowledge speaking colloquially here when other people try it in their own labs and they mm-hmm. try different variations of it and they say, "Oh, this theory is turning out to be truer than we thought," right? Mm-hmm. Or it's or it looked good at first and then the, over time and circumstances it fell apart, you know. Mm-hmm. And this happens all the time in the sciences. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that you know, the fact that the biblical authors are speaking in a way that every scientist, I, every working scientist I know would be like, oh, yeah, that actually makes complete sense to me. Mm. Um, it doesn't make it like, uh, you know, secretly the best uh, view ever. It just tells me that we're on to something here. If that, mm. if that's how the real world where, you know, so maybe people are suspicious of science engineering <laughs> where they actually make things work, where they actually like do calculations and predict them. Mm. They have the same view that if, if it's true, you know, and. In some sense, they're, you know, if you go into, a, I, I know a lot of working scientists, you go into a lab, they're not hung up on the issue of truth so much. What they're hung up on is method, very careful mm. method. So they, and I think the biblical authors have a similar view is um, you need to make sure you're doing the right things that produce truth, that, that turn out to be true over time and circumstance. Not just able to identify it, but yeah. more of like a practice of it. So there's no okay. true and false marriage, but you do need to do the right things over time and circumstance to make a marriage true, to make mm. the spouses true to one another. Um, and then same thing with theories. There's, um, It's like, okay, I have this theory. We'll put it to reality. Let reality, various times and circumstances, test it. And it'll either turn out to be more true or questionable or it'll be wrong. You know, mm-hmm. scientists at least tend to have that that view uh, that I think is very helpful. And the biblical authors seem to have that same view as well. Uh, we'll submit this to reality over time and it'll either get truer or questionable or false. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that's, and that's how we will know. Okay. So kind of going back to like how does that relate to what we can see about what the biblical authors are saying versus what they're meaning? So it becomes this question of I think what when we say, well, what do they mean? I think mm-hmm. we are falling back into that concept of like what's true right now. Mm-hmm. Like tell me, just tell me what's true, right? Okay. Um, just give me the facts uh, on the ground. And I, you know, I want to say when people say those kinds of things, I know what they mean, right? I know I, I know the impulse that's behind it. I might just say that well, that's not exactly how it works. Like, give me the facts. Is your marriage true or not? Are you true to your spouse or not? And you're like, well, let's see. Let's keep going. Let's pl- keep plugging away. Um, and there are certain things that it just doesn't make sense. Uh, going back to the, you know, is it clockwise or counterclockwise? Mm-hmm. It's like grabbing a rock and demanding that it tell you how old it is. Hmm. It's like, actually, rocks can reveal something about their age, the, the conditions of their formation, whether it was in high heat and pressure or not. Uh, but they won't do so by squeezing them and threatening them with a sledgehammer, right? That's just not the way they express that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so a, a very simple example of where somebody says something in Scripture, but we don't think that they meant it, but it doesn't make it false, would be Jesus' words to the thief on the cross where he says, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, we know he didn't actually mean that literally today, like that day, um, because uh, all the sources tells us he go he goes into Sheol or Hades for three days uh, before he's resurrected. Um, so, unless you want to say that Hades Sheol is para- is synonymous with paradise, which I don't think most people would argue that, um, he seems to have meant something maybe like it will seem like today, time won't be an issue, like or it'll it'll all work out in the end. 
you know, pan eschatology. It'll all pan out at the end. Um, so it, it's unclear exactly what he means, but I can tell you one thing that he does not seem to have meant, which is um, that literally on that same day you will be with me in paradise because that's not where Jesus goes according to the New Testament and according to all the creeds, mm. um, which I think – you know, just makes it more interesting and complicated and, and, and say like, okay, what, what was Jesus doing? Well, he's providing comfort. Okay. Uh, it, it was a good enough story, uh, to comfort the man in the way that he wanted to. It mm-hmm. doesn't make what he said false. I don't think in, in mm. any, in any way that we need to understand false. False, on the other hand, I should say, uh, is most often associated with things that are shaky. So it's false because you can't trust it. It doesn't have a good foundation, right? It's uh, the term shaker, uh, which actually I remember it because it sounds like shaky, okay. right? So, but the reason something you shouldn't be trusted because it, it's not firm. It's not firmly founded. Like the man that builds his house upon the rock versus the sand, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. We Jesus is really describing a true house and a false house. Over time, when the winds and the rain come, over time and circumstance, one holds true and mm-hmm. the other one doesn't. So hmm. that's great. I think that's that's a helpful uh, perspective to have as it relates to that. Um, so as we kind of begin to wrap up this series, um, I like personally that we're ending on this topic of truth because I think it's it's a helpful kind of full circle moment, if mm. I can use that that phrase. Um, you've mentioned in the past that truth is is personal. Mm. Um, what makes like what makes the biblical view of truth so personal and and kind of transitioning from there to how does that relate to all that we've been talking about so far in this series as people are kind of begin to think about yeah. what the next thing looks like for them um by saying truth is personal i mean that it has to be assessed not just by me personally but by persons in community mm-hmm. and it also going back to episode 1 requires bible literacy um mm. So what's remarkable to me is that when Moses, you know, in Deuteronomy, everybody's worried Moses is going to die. And Moses has been the one who has guided them according to Yahweh. He's also been the one who's talked down Yahweh when Yahweh wanted to kill all of them. And he'll say, no, no, remember your covenants, right? Um, and so everybody's kind of worried about like, well, what's going to happen when Moses is gone? And he, uh, in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, he says, Yahweh's going to raise up more prophets who, and in Deuteronomy 18, I'm going to put, he's going to put his words in their mouth and they'll speak on his behalf. Uh, in Deuteronomy 13, uh, it also, it's a little bit trickier. Um, and the issue here is that God promises in Deuteronomy 13 to raise up prophets, attest to them with signs and wonders, so you know to listen to them, and then he will cause them to lie um, and deceive you. And it says, literally, in order that I might test you to know whether or not you love Yahweh your God. Um, so we don't have – in the Hebrew Bible, you don't have any any categories called false and true prophets. So, we, so again, that wouldn't that be great if you could just say like, and God's going to raise up false prophets and they have a funny dot on their head and that's how you'll know. And then you don't have to listen to anything they say. No, what he promises instead in those two passages – is he's going to raise up prophets. He's going to attest them with signs and wonders. And uh, and then some of them are going to speak truly and some of them are going to speak falsely or presumptuously, as it's in, uh, said in Deuteronomy 18. Um, and if they speak presumptuously, you shouldn't listen to them. And, and then if they lead you to other gods, then you should uh, execute them, right? And the question comes from the people in Deuteronomy 18, 
how are we supposed to know whether they're speaking <laughs> presumptuously or not, right? And um, and it's a great question. It's the one they should be asking. And the answer is watch them, mm. right? Listen to their words. If what again over time and circumstance, if if what they say doesn't come to pass, then you don't need to worry about them. Mm. We see this uh, also. Um, that we see they're not labeled true and false prophets. You do have labels of true and false prophets in the New Testament, but the presumption seems to be that they've gone through this test and there are people who are just lying all the time. Um, but you see prophets like Nathan, who speaks truly to David and his moment of weakness with Bathsheba, one of his many moments of weakness, um, uh, and then later goes on to deceive him on his deathbed, right? And so there's, there's this sense. Now, what does this have to do with Bible literacy? Because... When God says, I will put my words in their uh, their mouth, and to the, to him you shall listen, right? It's actually the words that are quoted at the transfiguration when Moses and Elijah are standing there. God comes down and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Mm. Uh, it's from Deuteronomy 18 where he's saying, this is the prophet of Israel now, not Moses, not Elijah. So these are not throwaway words. They get quoted again in the transfiguration. Um, and what's interesting here is that the promise of future prophets um, requires that you practice the rituals of Torah in community. You become the kind of people who understand what God is doing, a wise and discerning people. And by practicing these things, knowing the Torah, memorizing the song of Deuteronomy 32 seems to be in mind there, doing the Shema, like as you walk along the way, you're in Psalm 1, you're uh, meditating and mumbling through the Torah, uh, the instruction of God day and night, and it becomes your delight. You, as as the Hebrew people, not as priests, not as scribes, not as elites, but you as the Hebrew people should be able to discern when a prophet is speaking truly or falsely. Mm. So yeah, It's like the element of, of ritual yeah. and time, taking time. It's not like a quick and easy Your personal process. attention following. So we want to say in the Gospels, the people who like came after Jesus because he might be speaking falsely as a prophet – Notice they didn't say he was a false – I mean, some people do think he's a false prophet. But really, according to Deuteronomy, he could have been speaking falsely as a, a, a prophet who was attested with signs and wonders. Signs and wonders just gets people to listen to you, but then you have to weigh their words according to the Torah. This is what Paul celebrates uh, uh, about the Bereans in Acts 17 as he brought the message to the, the Jewish people in Berea, and they searched the scriptures uh, that night – to make sure that everything he said fit, right? Mm. Um, and so and clearly I think he was attested by signs and wonders and the words he said fit the Torah. So everything that's going on in the Torah constrains even the things that Jesus says, right? Remember Jesus says, I didn't come to away to do, do away with any of the Torah, but to come to fulfill it. And so this idea of truth requires Bible literacy. You have to know what God has said, how he has instructed us. So when you get into the books of Kings and you're like, how is the entire nation of Israel and Judah in the south, they're all offering sacrifices to Baal, they're murdering their children, they're selling their daughters into prostitution, they're oppressing, they're doing everything they're not supposed to be doing. And then later you get these notes and they hadn't practiced Passover in hundreds mm-hmm. of years. They hadn't practiced Sukkot. They hadn't done the rituals that reminded them who they were and what kind of people they were supposed to become. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the the communitarian practices of the church actually help us to become wise and discerning and be able to discern truth from false from people God is even attesting with signs and wonders. Mm. Like 
I, I can't emphasize enough the high degree of demand that God intellectually and spiritually is placing on normal Hebrews who work the fields in the Iron Age. Mm. Like this is not an elite scribal tradition. He's like, and, the, and your people who go to school for seven years and get a PhD, they should be able to discern. This is for like, you know, your farmers and your agricultural uh, subsistence. Uh, the blue collar people. Yeah, the blue, the, <laughs> the good old folk that don't have their own personal copy of these scrolls. They, they have access to them. They might hear them mm-hmm. three times a year when they go to the temple being read out loud uh, together. But these are people who really have to work out the basics and, and the promises this wisdom is available to all of them. Mm-hmm. This discernment is available to children, to foreigners, to women, to men, to old, to young. Mm-hmm. It's not. A, it's. In fact, I would say, if you look in the ancient uh, ancient world in Mediterranean basin, ancient Near East, one of the most radical things about the intellectual tradition of Hebraic thought, the spiritual tradition of Hebraic thought, it is probably the fact that it's it's required of everybody. Um, mm-hmm. That that men, women, children, young and old, low class, upper class. Everybody is expected to uh, participate and become wise and discerning. Mm-hmm. And Mesopotamia, Egypt, everywhere else, Greece, Rome, it was only for the elites, only for the wealthy. Um, and here it's for everyone and expected of everyone. Mm-hmm. So at the end, we're coming back to this appeal of like, sorry, sorry, folks at home, but nobody gets off uh, gets <laughs> off the hook here. Yeah. We're all expected of this. Jesus might be one day standing in front of us yelling, hypocrites. Mm-hmm. I you know I gave you the instruction and guidance, like come on in. But man, I'm not happy with you, right? Like mm-hmm. you had the instruction and guidance, but you you uh, let your your mind and your life and your community efforts and your rituals uh, the, the, of your culture just soak into you, and you ignored all those things that I wanted to do through you through this this culture of the kingdom of God. Mm. That's a hard word, but I also find it encouraging to know that God would entrust yeah the average people with that, and also see that. You know, I personally believe that God wouldn't require something of us that He hasn't, that He isn't planning on making us capable to do. Absolutely. So, if that's the expectation, then there's also, I think, the the confidence we can have, um, knowing that it's possible. Yep, and we have the Holy Spirit uh, within us to guide us all along the way. Mm. We just don't have to, we just don't have to fight it. <laughs> we have to go with them. Go Amen. with God. Amen yeah. to that. Awesome. Well, we're going to transition a little bit here from talking about um, truth to just some final thoughts about the series. Um, I would love to hear from you, maybe some some major takeaways, like mm-hmm. thinking about everything that we've talked about so far. What would you want to kind of point back to and leave people with? Um, well, I feel like these are things I've said over and over again, but I guess I'll say them one last time. <laughs> um, with scripture, gulp, don't sip, right? Get you know, I tell people often, if you don't know scripture well, and we have uh, on our website at the hebraicthought.org, we have a Bible literacy uh, quiz. We can kind of go check yourself before we all wreck ourselves. <laughs> um, but that literacy quiz uh, can be found on there. But, uh, you know, to help you assess, like, how much do I really know scripture? And I think for most of us, we need to gulp, uh, not sip, read Exodus four times in a weekend. That that will do more for you than reading a chapter a day of scripture for mm-hmm. for three or four months. Um, really wrestling with it. read it once. That just kind of gets you like, okay, now I know what's in there. Now let me read it again with a question. Like, does God really hate people that much? And mm-hmm. go through and read 
uh, and read again with questions in your head and see whether the, the biblical authors take your question seriously, whether they take it up. Maybe you'll have to set your question to the side. Maybe they'll give you a different question. Like, I know you think this is the problem, but let me, uh, let me tell you, you need to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. So that engagement with scripture, um, in a, in a real and hard way, like we're like, don't let them off the hook. Don't, I mean, I, I think we can trust God that if we have real questions and serious concerns, that scripture will give back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've actually put it to the test and I, I've found that it, it actually has more to say than I could have ever imagined. And it's, and it's better on those topics than anything I could have come up with myself. Um, I think for private scripture reading, um, it's, it's great, but public re, re, uh, scripture reading is required, mm-hmm. uh, that we need to read in community and reflect in community on scripture. Otherwise, we come up with all kinds of crazy ideas on our own, or I found that I do. Um, <laughs> and then we come into our communities yeah. as seen as the, the crazy person. Like, exactly. How did you come up with that? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I always tell people that um, preaching on a Sunday morning is like being in a book club where you're the only one who read the book. Um <laughs> And not always, but that was often the feeling, especially recently, where people are becoming less and less biblically literate. And so, um, and just think about like what that enables. Okay, so if you get a pastor or a pastoral team that maybe isn't quite as mature as they should be, and they're but they're the only ones who know the Bible very well, and they got some hair and some agenda that they're like, oh, we got to do this, and they start using scripture in that direction. One thing that can spiritually hold your pastor to account. I don't mean like disciplinary. I mean, help them out. I mean, I I would do that if left to my own devices. I would get, come up with my own ideas. And if nobody else knew, I would go for it. Um, so one way you can actually help your pastor is know scripture well enough that you can go like, you can go Columbo. I don't know if you know Columbo. Like I, you talked about this passage, but that doesn't seem to fit. People did that to me when I was a young pastor. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that they did and they held me accountable, but it's because they knew scripture that well. One more question yeah. on that, um, just because I, I, I think the the idea of public re- the public reading of scripture as and like even more of an emphasis on that is maybe a little bit un- unusual for people who grew up, mm. you know, doing their daily devotionals on their own. So I'm curious for people who may not feel like they have a community to do that well in, or even maybe the time and space to really have the kind of conversations that they want to have about scripture with people who are like-minded, who also want to really investigate what scripture is meaning and saying, what would you recommend for them to kind of fill that need and that, yeah. that gap for them if they don't have um, maybe a space to do that naturally? Yeah, I, there, there probably are places. I mean, I know you come from a very small town, so there's, mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming big city where everybody has lots of options, right. but, uh, you know, online communities can be great for this. I actually have been a part of a few Zoom communities. I know everybody hates Zoom and I, I definitely got sick of it, but a few where we just wanted to read scripture together and encourage each other of, you know, uh, of professors where mm-hmm. we just needed, we just needed personal encouragement and we, mm-hmm. um, so we did that. Um, the Bible Project has a fantastic. It's a. It's not a community, but it's certainly. You feel like you're in a community when you listen to them. But they. they their videos are great, but their podcast is fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, especially for Bible literacy and fluency. Really understanding what Scripture is doing. More more literacy, uh, but I think it extends into fluency. Um, building on the skills that we've talked about here, like um, learning how to map out a narrative structure and thinking about how narratives work and practicing that. There's a a group called uh, Scripture Labs who's put together web-based versions of this. So I think they're scripturelabs.org um, where you can go practice these skills and these little exercises uh, they can put you through. Um, 
you can also uh, – thebiblicalmind.org, uh, which is where we publish uh, essays and articles by scholars and videos and podcasts where we're asking scholars to speak to normal people and say, how would the biblical author speak to us on a variety of issues from racism and policing, uh, gender in, in the Bible and, and in scripture – uh, all the way up to just like understanding like what's up with those rape laws in Deuteronomy. Like mm-hmm. we have a great essay by uh, Sandra Richter uh, who's a, a Harvard-trained uh, expert in ancient Near Eastern law and she wrote a nice little article for us like does it really require a rape victim to marry their rapist? And she kind of very carefully walks through those texts and tries to help us understand those those texts that for some people instantly drive them away and say, I can't trust this because if it says that, then I can't listen anymore. And for very understandable reasons. So um, she helps us think through that very carefully. Um, and I think, you know, if you look around in your communities, I, I think I, I am seeing there are a lot of people who are really excited about learning more about scripture once they understand how exciting scripture is. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And again, I, all you have to do is turn up the volume on scripture a little bit and you're like, oh, that's what they're saying? That's what they're doing? Oh, that's way more interesting than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, if you treat it as a relic of the past, as a collection of oracles and stories that are interesting and maybe morally, you know, like, oh, they have little morals to them, then that's all it'll ever be. It'll be something you can pull off the shelf and, and use and abuse at your leisure. Try to seek comfort in it, but you won't know how because you'll open it up and you'll be like, well, that's not comforting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you won't know how. It is actually deeply comforting. You just won't realize how. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe maybe we could say uh, don't break up with your Bible, but maybe <laughs> maybe change the relationship, right? Yeah. Uh Make make the you know on on Facebook it's this uh, social media platform that used to exist a long time ago. <laughs> Old people are still on it. They have this relationship status, you know, married, single, whatever. And then you have one. It's complicated, right? <laughs> so maybe change from married to the Bible to like oh, it's complicated. I need to work out a relationship. We need to see if if Scripture is going to be true to me over time mm-hmm. and circumstance. So, hmm. and it's okay to do that. It's okay, like. <laughs> I, this took me a while as a new Christian because uh, I was so afraid because I was so overjoyed to be like completely transformed from the inside out by God that I honestly thought that when I turned to Scripture and really got behind the scenes and learned Greek and Hebrew in seminary, I thought I was going to find – I thought there was going to be a class where they're going to go like, okay, guys, here's what Scripture actually says and here's what we tell people it says. Um <laughs> And to my joy, I found quite the opposite. I, we just went deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm like, oh, this is way better than I thought. This is richer than I thought. Oh, okay, that's hard. We need to think about that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's an, a profound and incredible well of wisdom and guidance on everything that we care about, everything that we want to talk about uh, today. And it's inexhaustible. I read it every single semester with students. And I learn th- new things both from Scripture and from my students every time, every semester. Mm, wow. um, so I, I don't – it won't get old. That's great. That's great. Well, sorry to, to uh, distract you from, oh, your, no, no, from no. your list of uh, main takeaways. Please continue. <laughs> I think that was it. Okay. <laughs> well, great. I think the I, I think the other thing, the, the, you know, the final thing that we've talked about here, which is assume that there are – threads that the biblical authors are laying down or crumbs they're laying down that they mm-hmm. expect us to pick up that wisdom and discernment comes from doing the hard work of figuring you know they they're laying it out for it they're telling us the stories i'll go back to that the lost coin the lost sheep the lost lost son like jesus is showing you that these things these things are connected by some literary repetition 
but he wants you to do some of the work to figure out like what connects these together mm-hmm. uh, and and go along for the ride. Like be up for a little bit of work, um, but know that it pays off and that what, you know, it's like climbing a mountain. Um, it's difficult the whole way up. Anybody who's climbed mountains, like you keep on waiting for the little downhills and they barely ever come. And it seems like it's just, it's just climbing stairs all the way up. But the ability to see the entire terrain from the top is worth it. Like now you can see what's around you. You can see the other mountains. You can see the hills. You can see where the rivers are. You can see where the sources of life are. Mm. Um, so you got to be willing to get out of the jungle and climb the mountain. Um, but again, it, what else do we have except the words of life that are given to us from Scripture? What a great way to end. <laughs> Wow. Thank you so much. Is there any other resources you'd like to recommend? Also, how can people reach you if they want to kind of stay connected after the series? Yeah, we're at uh, the Center for Hebraic Thought, which is hebraicthought.org. Um, and you can reach me at the King's College. Um, the uh, There's you know, we like to say when it comes to understanding scripture, it's like people are starving in the middle of a supermarket. There are so many good resources out there for free. There's so many good YouTube channels like the 10-Minute Bible Hour. That guy's doing amazing work, uh, walking through in very plain way, very like really teasing out what's going on in scripture. Uh, the Bible Project doing amazing work. So in, the, in one sense, like I can't stop recommending tons of, of resources. Um but I think once you the, – the hardest resources to get is to get your heart wrapped around the point that you really want to go down this road and do it. If you're there, uh, you can start there, and then they will actually point you on to other resources uh, from there. So none of, none, of, none of us are greedy for your attention. Uh, we all want to point to each other and other good things that are for you. And, um, and if you're interested in justice, matters of justice or incarceration, there are people who are thinking about Scripture along those lines. And – uh, the biblical mind, we have lots of articles pointed in lots of different directions that can take you out. So I like that resource because we work so hard to help people uh, get some biblical information on really interesting topics and then point them out in those directions. That's great. That's great. Well, this has been such a rich and insightful time. Thank you to those of us who have been with us from the beginning of the journey. Kudos. <laughs> Episode one, yeah. yes. You can pick up your awards you. <laughs> uh, in the main entrance. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, for those of uh, for those of you who have maybe joined us midway, or maybe this is even the first episode that you've been listening to, I hope that this kind of prompts you to maybe even go through the rest of the episodes. I hope this has been interesting and helpful for you, and that you're hungry for more. Um, we will be coming out with with more uh, more resources like this at passages. We're we're really passionate here about um, using using the word passionate. passionate. He doesn't like the word passionate. Um, no, you're going to tell us why you're passionate. <laughs> I'm, I am yeah. going to tell you why. Uh, we are we're really excited about seeing a generation of followers of Jesus really know the Bible, really know the roots of their faith. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the main ways that we do that here at Passages is through trips to Israel. And not just a trip to Israel, but a trip that is also uh, joined with educational content and an and experience that helps you to really, really get it. Um, and we have people to kind of help you along that, along that process. So if you have not been on a trip to Israel before, maybe you're listening and, um, and it's interesting to you and you really want to go experience the land of the Bible, the place where all these stories and the poetry, the law, all of it happened, uh, we would really love for you to be able to come to Israel with us. So 
feel free to check out our website. Um, All the resources mentioned here are going to be available in the show notes. So feel free to check those out. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, all all the social medias um, at Passages Israel. And we would love to stay connected with you. So until next time, we are praying for you, uh, praying that you would enjoy this journey of learning the Bible, uh, learning your faith, learning the roots of your faith. um, And we look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks for listening to Discover Your Roots. This podcast is brought to you by the Passages team and is made possible by our generous donors. If you'd like to make a contribution to the work we do, please visit PassagesIsrael.org and click the donate button. To find more resources about the Bible in its original context, the roots of the Christian faith in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jewish-Christian relations, and more, subscribe to our newsletter at PassagesIsrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's PassagesIsrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media to learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.